Welcome to the Gerald Brooks Leadership Podcast, a deep dive into biblical leadership with pastor and author, Dr. Gerald Brooks. Hi, this is Gerald Brooks. Thank you so much for joining me for today's podcast. In just a few minutes, I'm going to talk to you about words which mess leaders up. Words which mess leaders up. Now, before I do, I want to take a moment. I want to remind you of a couple of opportunities. On October 20th and 21st, we are doing the North Texas Leadership Conference. This is a great place to be in a leadership atmosphere. I want to encourage you to go to Gerald Brooks Ministries. Uh, .com and to sign up there. You need to be in the room. There's something about being in the room that changes everything. Just uh, hearing it isn't enough. Being in the room is the game changer. And then on November the 8th, I will be in New Braunfels, Texas, doing a seminar on personal leadership skills. Now, this is different than any other event that I do. It's on personal leadership skills. What are the skills you need to have as a leader? So we're going to get very personal, and we're going to walk you through some skills that you need to develop. So today, I want to talk to you about words which mess up leaders, just some words that mess up leaders. So these are words that are common, they're used, they're thrown around, but they tend to be those words that when they begin to engage in a leadership environment, they become really messy. How do we do these words? Are these words true? Are these words so? How do we manage these words? The first word is that word balance. Uh, I can't remember a conference I've been at where we fielded questions that I do not get the balance question. How do you manage leadership and how do you create balance? Now, usually it's uh, leadership and family balance is usually what they're talking about, but how do you manage it? Now, let me just talk to you about this word balance. Most people want balance, but they have an erroneous definition They think that balance is where everything's working and everything feels fine. So they tend to talk about balance this way. Um, My my work life, it's just got the right amount of time. My family life's got the right amount of time. In my family, my marriage has got the right amount of time. My kids have got the right amount of time. I've got enough me time and fun time built in. And all these times are just perfectly slotted together and they work perfect. The truth of the matter is that does not exist. An environment where everything perfectly fits together does not exist. I don't know where people get the idea of it. To be honest, I don't know anyone who has it. I've never met anyone who has it, that everything is perfectly slotted together. Here's what I can tell you about that word balance. If you're going to use it, it is a place of competing tension. It is a place of competing tension. And what that means is the person who is well-balanced is feeling the tension of everything pulling at them. So let me put it in these terms. If you're not feeling the tension of work, home, marriage, kids, personal, private, 
fun, not fun. If you're not feeling the tension of that, then you are out of balance. It's the person who's out of balance. Hey, I'm just going and I'm working on my hobby. My hobby is it. I enjoy playing golf. I enjoy fishing. Hey, I enjoy knitting. I enjoy uh, book scrapping. I enjoy all of these things. And they basically have made it about one area of life. And so what we tend to do is we look at someone who's out of balance and is happy being out of balance. They're letting their marriage suffer, their kids suffer, they're letting their job suffer, but their hobby, man, it is spot on. And in that place, they feel no tension. Now, everyone around them feels tension. And that's what's interesting. When you don't feel the tension, Everyone around you feels the tension. So if you're not feeling the tension, then you are not balanced. Let me put it to you this way. If you're going to try to use that word, which really I dislike that word. I think that balance is a myth. Uh, When you've got uh, a young family, balance looks one thing. When you're an empty nester, balance looks another thing. When you're single and you're not married, balance looks like one thing. When you're single, not married, and don't have kids, balance looks different. Uh, When you're at the beginning of your career, balance looks like one thing. When you're at the end of your career, balance looks at another thing. And so what I can tell you is you tell me the season you're in in life and I will tell you what balance should look like in life. So the young mom with a couple of kids, her life is never going to feel balanced. You know why? Those young kids need constant attention. That dad who's trying to master marriage and master parenting His life's never going to feel balanced. So the first thing is, I would just tell you, lose the myth of feeling balanced. Get into the real world and understand that what balance is, is being in a position where you're constantly feeling pulled at. And so if you're feeling pulled at, then you're probably balanced. If you're not feeling any pull, then you're probably out of balance. But if you are going to balance, balance is always tied to a time equation in people's eyes. What it means is this, you have to be disciplined with your time, but you have to be fluid in its application. Get it. Balance isn't simple. It's being disciplined with your time. I only have 24 hours a day. That's all I have. I have 24 hours a day, but in having 24 hours a day, I have to be disciplined with those 24 hours. I have to make sure that I am allotting those 24 hours the best wisdom that I have and be disciplined with your time, but be fluid with your application. Today, I may give more time to one area. Tomorrow, I may give more time to a different area, but what people are looking for is some equation of life that takes tension out and allocates time without them having to be disciplined with it. That world does not exist. Life is a pendulum. There are things that I will be highly focused on today 
that a year from now I probably do not have to be focused on. In the middle of the COVID outbreak and all of the changing rules and regulations, as a leader, I had to be very focused on my organization. Now that most people have overcome their fear of COVID, I can begin to lean back and look at life differently. So that being said, that word balance, just come to terms with it. It's different seasons in life as to what it looks like. It's not everything working fine and feeling fine. That place doesn't exist. It's a place of competing tensions that you feel regularly. And if you're not feeling them, you're probably out of balance. But it's having discipline with your time, but being fluid with the application of the time. So that's the first word. The second word is the word excellence. I walk into organizations all the time and they will say, hey, uh, Pastor Brooks, we want excellence. And when they say that word, I, I cringe a little bit because I've seen what excellence typically is used for. See, excellence is a love for doing everything right. It's just a love for doing everything right. Big things, we want to do them right. Little things, we want to do them right. It is a love for doing everything right. But especially in Christian circles, here's the thing. We tend to take the concept of excellence from the book of Daniel. And it ta- people will say, I want that excellence that Daniel had. But there's something that they tend to leave out. And that is when that word excellence is used about Daniel. It says that he had an excellent spirit. He had a spirit of excellence. His spirit of excellence was there. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Having a spirit of excellence is different than actions of excellence. They're not synonymous. See, my heart wants to do everything right. My skills will do some things wrong. My spirit is to always improve. My reality is there's always an area in which I need to improve. My spirit is I want us to be spot on. But sometimes the reality is the spot tends to move around. So excellence, a love for doing things, must be wrapped in forgiveness so you allow people to grow. I walked into an office. There was an individual who was the head of this particular organization. He immediately walked over to the table. And as he walked over to the table, he picked up a printout form. He handed it to me and he said, can you believe that they did this? And I'm looking and honestly, I couldn't see what they had done, but he wanted the edges to be perfect and that whatever was around the edges, the margin was perfect on both sides. He said they cut them wrong. I'm sitting there looking at the person that is responsible for cutting them And I'm watching this person begin to just melt into the floor. 
And he looked at me and he said, what do you think about that? And I said, here's what I think. Your excellence has always got to match your forgiveness. In my desire to see excellence from me and others, my forgiveness has to be as great as my excellence. Now, some of you are going to have to pause because if you have a spirit of excellence right now, you're going to have to recalibrate it. You're not even getting it. See, our excellence can become a negative towards others. There always has to be a place where in the middle of excellence, there's an opportunity for growth. And the opportunity for growth can look like this. Well, that individual, hey, next time, can you work a little bit more on this? And so what was important to that leader was something that seemed to come across as condemning towards that individual. And our excellence must be balanced with forgiveness. See, there is a failure quotient that every leader must address. Now think about it. I'm imperfect. This leader I was talking about is imperfect. But Jesus was perfect. Have you ever read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? And you've looked at those four books and you've put yourself in Jesus' position of every time the disciples failed. Every time the disciples failed. That famous story of of feeding the multitudes, Jesus turns to the disciple and says, what do we have? Well, the implication is this. There was to be preparation before the event to be in this particular moment, that there was something that would be provided. But Jesus looked and the guy said, there's a little boy with five loaves and two fish. Well, here's the thing. There wasn't excellence at that moment. For Jesus to develop 12 individuals, he had to create a failure quotient. Because if he eliminated them over every failure, there would have never been anyone on the team. And what I'm saying to you is, there are things that are important to me. See, I can walk into a room And when I walk into the room, if a light is out, it bothers me. I'm wondering, did people not know I was going to walk in this room and the first thing I was going to do is look up and see the lights? Why is it that these lights are out when they could have been changed? What kind of message are we sending? Well, here's the thing. I could have walked into that room and every light had been perfect the night before and then they were turned off and the next morning turned on and a ballast went out. Now, I can with my actions not be tolerant of that. But the individual may have replaced a ballast the day before 
and then a different ballast went out. See, there's a failure quotient every leader must address. Now, the question becomes, when you're a high prolific leader, what is that failure quotient? Here's my standard. I do not struggle with this failing. I struggle if we fail over the same thing repeatedly. See, it's one thing to fail and to grow. It's another thing to keep failing and not growing. So as a leader, I'm demanding that if we have a tendency to make mistakes in a certain area, hey, let's not do that again. How many times do we have to do that? But if somebody is growing in that area and says, hey, I've mastered that and they fell in a different area, that's a different thing. But every leader has to determine their failure quotient. So two words, balance and excellence. A third word, intelligence. Intelligence is one of those words that, boy, does it get messy in a corporate world. Because we want smart people on our team. We want people who get it, who get it quickly, who learn quickly. We love intelligence. We want to be considered intelligent. We want our organization to be intelligent. We want our team to be intelligent. We love intelligence. But here's a part of it. Being smart doesn't mean you're effective. Being smart doesn't mean that you're effective. Some of you have seen some of the articles that have been written on presidential IQs, where they go back and they track the IQs of various presidents. One of the interesting things is, in all of the studies, high IQ does not equal the best president. In fact, many times the people with a lower level IQ were the ones that were most effective running our nation. And many of the people who failed to succeed in the presidential office were the individuals that uh, had great IQ. They were really, really smart, but they weren't very effective. One of the things that we know that the road to intelligence has a lot of dead ends. And a part of that is, is because we need to understand what intelligence is and what effectiveness is. So let me just give you this thought. Learning is not a substitute for growing. Learning is not a substitute for growing. See, a few months ago, we started the leadership school at our church. And I want to say, if you're in the Plano area and you're a pastor, this is a place you need to be. And if you have team members, we're not going to steal your team members. We're always going to do what's best for the kingdom. But you send team members, we're going to raise them up as effective leaders. But one of the things that I know is that learning's not a substitute for growing. There's a lot of people who are good at learning, but they've never grown. Collecting information is not the same thing as experiencing transformation. So the road to intelligence has a lot of dead ends. So what they found out is that IQ 
usually relates to only 20% of being effective. Someone who knows a whole lot, that's about 20% of being effective in a leadership position. What they found is, is that there's other kinds of intelligence that you need. You don't just need to be smart, IQ, but you need EQ. You need emotional intelligence. And emotional intelligence is your ability to master the emotions in your life, but it's also your ability to lead in the midst of emotions in other people's lives. See, when I lead, I'm not leading in the abstract. I have people that are dealing with their own emotions in life based on the context of their life at that moment in life. And I have to be able to look at them and I have to have the EQ to relate to them. It's what Paul said. We weep with those that weep and we rejoice with those that rejoice. What is he saying? You connect with people emotionally before you lead them. And if you don't connect with them emotionally before you lead them, you're not going to lead them for very long. And so emotional. And then there's AQ. AQ is adversity quotient. It's your ability to handle the dark and the negative. As I tell people, I'm a pastor. I'm with people on their best day and I'm with people on their worst day. I'm with people when they're on top of the mountain and I'm with people when the mountain's on top of them. And here's the thing. In your life, in my life, there are going to be moments of adversity. So I have to take the smart that I have with the emotional intelligence that I have and work that in adverse circumstances. So if I'm going to be an effective leader, I have to be able to manage through my ability to think, my ability to feel, and my ability to react. And being able to figure out which one of those is most important at time, that's leadership IQ. Because a leader knows when being smart isn't the answer, being relational is. And a leader knows when being smart and relational isn't the answer, being resilient is. So what I want to say to you is simply this. There are common words that mess up leaders. People mess up their lives over the word balance. They're just out there. I've watched leaders mess up people over the word excellence. And I've watched entire organizations fail because of the word intelligence. So what I want to say to you is this. You've got to look at some of the words that are often used and you've got to look at those words and you have to manage those words and you have to uh, begin to navigate through those words and you've got to get it right. But there are words that mess people up. Balance messes people up. Excellence messes people up. Intelligence messes people up. Take your biblical values, wrap them around all three of those. And if you do that, you'll be a high quotient leader because you will have navigated the three things that mess a lot of great leaders up. Hey, I want to remind you, 
you need to be here at NTLC. That room is going to be electric. It's going to be dynamic. You can go to Gerald Brooks Ministries and you can sign up. On November 8th, I will be doing dealing with the personal skills of a leader. And when I deal with those skills, I think it's going to help you grow as an individual. And as I say repeatedly, if you're not growing yourself, you're not going to grow anything else. Hey, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate you being involved. Thank you for listening to the Gerald Brooks Leadership Podcast. If you'd like more information on Dr. Brooks's books, audio, or speaking engagements, please go to geraldbrooksministries.com.